Scottish Zone on Salford City Radio and Rob Paxson. We're here talking all things sports in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Paul Whiteside from The Devil in Detail. Paul, looking forward to talking all things sport in Salford and beyond? Yeah, certainly am, Rob. Yeah, looking forward to it. There's plenty going on as usual. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll break it all down in the next 50 uh, odd minutes or so. Yeah, so what we'll do, we'll start off with the football, obviously, off season. Um, fixtures coming out, fans getting excited. It's really a special time of the time of the year. Yeah, it certainly is this time of year, isn't it? You sort of get into to June, and you've got the the World Cup just around the corner as well. But you know, with that being in the winter this time, it's sort of on the back burner, isn't it? So yeah, think when the fixtures come out, especially if you're a, a newly promoted side or you you've been relegated or whatever, and you've gone into a new league, you're looking out for derby games, aren't you? And especially, I think all the City and United supporters are looking to see when they play each other, aren't they, in, uh, in the, the Manchester derby and things like that. So, so yeah, the, the, the fixture's being released. You know, it shows you that the football season is not far off now. You're probably only talking, what, about eight weeks or so, six or eight weeks, and the, and the season will be kicking off again. Mm. Yeah, obviously, Salford City's fixture came out. They start with Mansfield at home. They've got Barrow on Boxing Day at home, and they finish with Gillingham at home on the May the 6th. So, it's good, obviously, you know, these crucial... Uh, fixtures in the in the run of fixtures are all at home. Boxing Day just after the break because of the World Cup will be an important one because obviously clubs won't have played during that period and it'll be good to get uh, some money back at the club. Yeah, that's right. And, and Boxing Day at home to Barrow. I mean, I won't fancy going to Barrow on Boxing Day. It's a bit of a long run. And Gillingham as well. At least that one's at home last game. Because Gillingham's a, a real trek. I think that's like sort of Kent, isn't it, Gillingham? So that's probably the, the furthest they'll have to go. That. So, uh, so yeah, and there's some interesting games there. Mansfield will be a tough start to the season. I don't think they did too bad last season. They were up, up near the playoffs, weren't they? So that's a, that's going to be a tough fixture for them. But, uh, but no, we've said it before. They're, they're one of the favourites, aren't they, this season? They've got some big derby games as well. You know, the Salford City Sports will be looking at when they play Rochdale and, and Stockport County. I think it's another big derby for them as well, isn't it? I'm not too sure who else is in the league. Is Accrington Stanley are they in that league or they got promoted? I think they think they got promoted, didn't they? So uh, or they're in League League One. I'm not too sure. But I know Stockport, Rochdale are sort of the local sides, aren't they? And uh, Stockport County have come up with uh, a real fanfare, haven't they? We're getting some big crowds at the end of last season, sort of ten thousand gates there at Edgeley Park. So I'm sure that'll be a big ding dong game when they play Salford. Yeah, obviously Neil Wood, the new coach, they're looking to make an impression. Obviously, you know the last couple of seasons, Salford have not able to sort of get up into that sort of next division. It's important for the owners; they've invested a lot of money into the club that they continue this rise because obviously they don't want to be sort of stuck in this division for too long. No, well, yeah, that's right. I mean, when owners put money in, they expect results, don't they? Especially football these days, it's. Um sort of a cutthroat business, isn't it, really? I mean, you don't get time anymore, do you, to sort of build a, a side. They want success and they've been in that, that league for a few years now. So it, the pressure's going to be on. And it's we said it before, we say it every week, don't we? It's a long season, 46 matches. It's it's a it's a real marathon in uh, in sort of League Two. So uh, you're playing every sort of Saturday, Wednesday or, or Saturday, Tuesday. So it's going to be a long season. And that, that squad of, of Salford City is going to get tested to the maximum, really. So uh, it's not going to be easy. Teams are going to target Salford. As well, and it's going to be sort of a cup final for them, so they're going to have to be on the game every week. So that's why this pre season is going to be very important for them now with the friendly games they've got coming up, you know, to get things ironed out. And you know, the, the pressure's 
I think I think the pressure's going to be on the new manager, and you know, we expect pressure. But I think if if I was the owners, you, you you've got to allow the new manager a bit of time. You can't keep chop changing managers, and and that manager needs a season now. I think I don't think you can sort of start wielding the axe halfway through and things like. That. You need to give him time to to sort of feel his way in and get going. Obviously, you say football clubs they don't really give managers much time these days. It's very instant, instant sort of results. If you don't don't do well uh, and it's coming towards like a transfer sort of window time um, clubs uh, get a bit sort of nervous don't they they wonder whether the, the man in charge is the right man to take the club forward and it's kind of a, a weird situation where if you're not sort of top of the table or not in form then you are sort of a little bit worried about what might happen that's right that's right and you know I, I think we might have spoke about this and mentioned this before on the sports zone I mean I watched the Alex Ferguson documentary last week and I, I did know a bit of background on it anyway but you know he, he came to United in 1986 and didn't win the league till I think you know, was it 91, 92, something like that? So he waited quite a while. And I think they were pretty close to sacking him as well. And they went to Nottingham Forest and, and won an FA Cup game and ended up getting to Wembley and winning the final. But, you know, he's sort of a quirk of fate, really, sometimes. that You know, if they hadn't won that game, it might have changed the course of history. So, yeah, football can be like that, can't it? You know, especially now, I think we're talking there the 90s, aren't we? 80s and 90s. And I think football's totally, totally changed since then. It's it's completely different sport, completely different game now. And yeah, you're right. Managers don't get the time. They don't get the chance. People want instant success. There's so much money involved now. And I think even if you're talking at the sort of League One, League Two level, there's plenty of money, you know, down that sort of neck of the of the, of the league, isn't there? Really, now with the sides that are down there, you've only got to look in League Two and some of the big names that are in there, and the money they'll be spending, the gates they'll be getting, and you know, Salford's crowds aren't aren't magnificent, are they? So that's something they'll they'll say they need to work on. But you know, they're expected to do well this season, and, and yeah, the pressure will be on. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, obviously, the the power has shifted from the manager. To would you say the players, or would you say the sort of the chairman in that situation? That obviously, you know, the book used to stop with it, the manager, and he used to have access to all the, uh, you know, all whole club. He used to know everybody, but now it's a bit different. Obviously, modern football, you know, different areas don't really talk to each other and, and manage to bring them all together. Yeah, well, you know. I can see a time when that goes full circle and it happens again. I know Manchester United have brought a new manager in and, and he seems like he's he wants to go that way, doesn't he, by sort of getting to know everybody in the club. I watched a bit of a documentary on, on him when he came in and, and I think that that's the way to be. If you look at Ferguson, I know I mentioned him quite a lot, but for me, he's like the benchmark. Really. I mean, I wasn't a big Manchester United supporter, but I've got so much admiration for the work he did at United and Aberdeen and, and elsewhere where he'd been. And I think, yeah, I think that's, that's the way Manchester United need to go. But perhaps, you know, on a smaller scale Salford say you know let, let the manager be in charge let him manage don't be in his back pocket all the time you know pressuring and making decisions it's not up to the owners I mean owners yeah they've got they've got a bit of clout they've got their money there but let the guy in charge let him have a bit of a free reign and you know let him you know express himself and uh, and do it his way and you might find it's a different result I mean if you keep going the same way you'll get the same result won't you I mean how many times has Salford had the same result how many managers have they had now so surely you've got to sort of change your methods and, and the way that you you sort of run the football club really if you're going to get different results because if not you're just going to keep going down the same road yeah, and he's come obviously come from uh, Man United under 23s, Neil Wood. So he has an idea of what it's like to be at a big club, but not much experience in the Football League. Do you think that's going to be a factor? Because obviously, you know, he has to sort of negotiate out of that division. But coming from Man United's under 23s, has, has he really had that 
sort of taste of what it's really like uh, in in them lower divisions. No, no, not in the lower divisions. It's you know it's blood and thunder, isn't it? In in in, in that sort of league, and you know it's sometimes the standard of football, it's not like what you see in the Premiership. You know, nice pitches and things like that. It can be a bit more sort of. Uh, you know, cut and thrust, isn't it? It's you know, teams play the sort of different way the way they play route one, you know, the big stopper at the back and things like that. That that's that's what that league's all about. I mean, not every team's like that. Some teams will put the ball down and play football. But uh, but no, his experience at Manchester United I think could take him a long way as well because he's been in a winning environment. I mean, you can say what you want about Manchester United, the struggle the last few years, but it's still a very, very professional environment to be involved in if you are at Old Trafford and you and you work in there. So you want to go look at the youth set at Manchester United, the players that have come through there. All right, it's not been that conveyor belt the last sort of twelve, eighteen months, two years or whatever, but they've still got a fantastic sort of atmosphere there and a fantastic philosophy there. Um, so he's he's come from good stock really. So uh, I'm pretty sure he'll be able to sort of you know get his get his tools and and things in place to adapt it to that level. Yeah, Salford have drawn Bolton Wanderers away in the Carabao Cup in the first round local derby. That uh, be exciting, obviously. Both sides, you know, wanting to, to impress, obviously, Bolton, a, a, a former Premier League side, uh, first chance that Salford have had to face them. So it'll be great, you know, to see what, what it's like and, you know, hopefully it'll be a good game. Yeah, and Bolton are a bit of a club on the up as well. Aren't they? they had a good season last year and uh, it did pretty well. I, I know listening to local radio and reading local press, they've, they've they've been really plugging their season tickets this time and have a lot of offers on. So they're, they're targeting big crowds, aren't they, in a promotion push. So uh, I I think there's a bit of a feel-good factor around around the the, the town of Bolton, so uh, so yeah, that'll be good. It'll be a good test for Salford City, and I think when you play these sort of early early rounds of, of cup competitions when the season first starts, I mean, derby games are what it's all about, especially when you're playing local sides like that. So it's a big test for Salford, but uh, but yeah, against against Bolton, I'm sure they'll be really looking forward to that. Yeah, and Papadron Trophy uh, Cup draw has been made as well. Uh, in Salford's group, we've got Accrington Stanley, we've got Rochdale, and we've got Liverpool under 23s. Obviously, interesting. Obviously, Liverpool, Premier League side, they'll have some talent in them ranks. But do you think it's fair that Liverpool are able to field a club in, in this uh, trophy against the likes of Salford and Rochdale and Accrington? No, no, I think it's unfair. To be honest, that Papa John's trophy used to be the old. Or a windscreens trophy, I think, if I'm right. The football yeah, league yeah. trophy they used to call it, and I used to go watching Rochdale quite a bit as a as a lad at school. And we got to the Rochdale got to the area final like that a couple of times, and we just pipped and missed out on the chance to go to Wembley. And I think it was Stoke City beat them over two legs and a, and a few other teams. And very very exciting times, like you know, for for smaller clubs to to be able to get you know that chance of getting near Wembley. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, there, back then it was just. The, the bottom two divisions it would be League One and League Two that, that competed in it so there was none of this under 23s thing and I've noticed that the last few years that's that sort of crept in so so no I, I think that that trophy they've they've gone to group games now where it used to just be a knockout competition um, and then over two legs in the in the quarters and semis I think it was so so the way it's gone to group games now yeah just to be honest it just makes more more matches really doesn't it so I think put it back to a cup competition for me and and not the Premier League sides out they've got enough to play for really haven't they. Yeah, I think I think they want to use it as a, an opportunity for the youth to get experience playing against the likes of Salford and uh, Rochdale, and you know trying to get that sort of football league feel, so they get it in the legs and they know what it's all about. But still, 
I still think you know you're still playing under 23 Premier League, and I think to have that division, it kind of gives is it give the players confidence that are not confidence that they've got to go and find these football league teams to play to get really educated on the game. Yeah, I think in a way it probably does um, does a service to the the Premiership sides, doesn't it? Because it gives those younger players that experience to to sort of play against you know professional players, and you're not just playing against young kids; you're playing against wily professionals, aren't you? you know, some players who are, who are in that League One and League Two, they they've been up and down the leagues, and and they know it; they're very experienced. So in a way, it's good for them. So uh, so yeah, we'll have to see how it pans out. And I suppose if you look at it from a Salford or a Rochdale point of view, or or Accrington Stanley's point of view, you're playing against, you know, although it's the under-23s, you could play Manchester United, Liverpool and go to their stadium and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it does have its plus sides, I suppose. Yeah. Talking about uh, things happening outside uh, the Premier well, in the Premier League in the off-season, uh, Nick Pope, uh, Burnley's goalkeeper, uh, signed for Newcastle United. Obviously, Bur- uh, Burnley was relegated. Um, so obviously Newcastle swooped in. Newcastle, lots of money with a new takeover. Signs a, an England international goalkeeper. Kind of shows the intent, uh, which is going to be behind that Newcastle uh, revolution. Well, yeah, they seem to be spending plenty of money, don't they, Newcastle United? And when you think about it, they're a bit of a sleeping giant, really. I mean, they get 50,000 supporters every week, fanatical supporters as well. They've got a stadium right slap bang in the in the city centre. They've got all the potential in the world, haven't they, to, to be right up there challenging in the Premiership. And I think it would be really exciting if they was. I mean, if you go back, sort of, God, I'm going back a long way, you know, mid-90s, when Kevin Keegan were there and some of the tussles they had with Manchester United, a really exciting time to, to watch football. So, so, yeah, I think it's a great city Newcastle and to see them do well I think it'd be good for the game but just talking about Burnley there I know they've got a new manager haven't they Vincent Company who's come in you know the former uh, former City uh, legend I think we can call him Vincent Company so that's a big thing for them and I'm sure they'll be uh, they're one of the favourites for promotion aren't they from the, the championship but that's a blow losing uh, losing Pope because he's a very good player yeah finished third in Belgium top division with Anderlecht Vincent Company so his first job in the Premier League, obviously City legend. Um, pressure. Do you think there's pressure on him? Obviously, get, trying to get out of the Championship. We know how t- tough it can be. Um, but your first job in the Championship is it's going to make or break him. Yeah, well, I think it, it, if a side goes down from the Premiership, you automatically expect them to, to do well the next season. They'll be banging on the door to come back up again, don't you? And, you know, Burnley, let's have it right, are not they're not awash with resources, they're not a massive club, they don't have a massive stadium, they don't have a massive fan, well they do have a decent fan base, you know, they get behind them, but they're not a club that you'd associate being being able to throw money about the place, um, but, uh, but I'm sure they'll do well, they, they've got them a decent nucleus of a good side anyway, and I think they were pretty unlucky to go down, weren't they? they give it a really almighty fight last season, so, uh, so I'd say Vincent Company, you know, he's going to have a tough job to do there, but I'd expect Burnley to be in, that, in around that top six next season in the Championship. Yeah, you hear all kinds of rumours, don't you, in this type of uh, environment in the off-season. Um, there's talk of Leeds Rapina uh, going to Arsenal. Classy winger for me. Um, will he make a difference at Arsenal? Is attack Arsenal's main problem? Um, yeah, possibly. Possibly. They had a decent end to last season, Arsenal, didn't they? Um, sort of perked up in the, in the second half of the season. But they've not been nowhere near the Arsenal... 
we would expect, I would have said, over the last couple of years. They've, they've sort of waned a bit, really, and dropped down the table and been a bit mediocre, really. So their supporters be expecting a bit more. I mean, when you think of Arsenal, you're expecting them to, to be challenging for, for the Premiership, really. So uh, so I think they need to get back up there and, uh, you know, a few signings and, and what have you. I think they've got the resources there to do well. So uh, and it'd be good as well. I mean, Last season, we were City and Liverpool, really. It was a bit of a two-horse race, but I think you can get Chelsea in there, Arsenal, Tottenham, you know, Newcastle United, Manchester United. You know, I think it would make the, the, the league a really exciting league. Yeah. Looking at other news that's happening, uh, Paul, FIFA approved a 26-man squad uh, for this year's World Cup. You can name up to 15 substitutes after uh, at the game, uh, which means you need, need a really big bench and also gives player opportunities. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I mean, you you are going to need a big bench. It's going to be a long bench, anyway. Isn't it? Well, it's sat in the middle of that. It'll be squashed up. But uh, but yeah, it's going to be a nightmare when you're trying to work out who's taking penalties and things like that. But but no, I think I think 15's a lot, really, isn't it? But uh, but no, I suppose it gets everybody in the squad and you can make changes, can't you? And I think as well, perhaps looking at the heat, it's going to be pretty warm over there, isn't it? So. Uh, you know, how are people going to adapt to uh, to the temperature and that in the World Cup? So, um, so yeah, so it'll be an interesting one. Yeah, obviously, you know, with the World Cup being in sort of November, it's going to be obviously disruption for all the European uh, leagues, obviously, because, well, it might, would it be a disruption for many in, in Europe because they have a winter break? So is it kind of fixed in that? Will they not feel sort of the, the disruption as much as we do? No, I think the, the, the people that have the winter break should be all right. I mean, uh, that's something we've not had over here. I mean, even Scotland have one, don't they? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think I had a look at the fixtures the other day. Is it a three-week break over here? Or a month? I'm not too yeah, sure. So they, they've, they've got that break this time, haven't they? And um, it'd be interesting to see how teams go on the back of that. I mean, you could be having a really storming run, then you have a break for a month for the World Cup, you come back and it's hard to get back going again, isn't it? Especially if your players have, have been over there playing uh, playing in a, in a tough World Cup. So, that could have a bit of a level of this season on, on, the, um, on, the, on the Premiership and how it goes. I mean, you know, perhaps we will see a, a bit of a dark horse team come through. I mean, you've only got to go back a few years and, and Leicester won it, didn't they? So, um, you know, if a side can come up on the rails, you've not got loads of, people, loads of players involved in the World Cup. You know, they could be the side that goes on and, uh, and lifts a trophy. Lukaku is on his way back to Inter Milan uh, after a spell at Chelsea. Uh, you know, we not really sort of set the Premier League on fire. Had a very successful season at Inter Milan, um, but then obviously went to Chelsea and didn't quite hit it off. So it's strange if you're going back again. People say, don't go back, but this guy's done it twice. Mm, so it might be a third time lucky then, eh? <laughs> We'll have to see, but no, yeah, it's a bit of an old, uh, an old saying, isn't it? Not to go back, but uh, we'll have to watch it, watch how that one goes. But no, it didn't really set the world on fire, did he? So, um, so yeah, it'd be an interesting one. But they obviously think he's worth his salt, don't they? They've uh, put some faith in him, so, uh, so they must think he's got something there. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a strange old thing. Obviously, you know, hundred million pound. I think uh, Chelsea paid it, paid for him, and then he's sending him back to Winter for eight, which kind of shows the uh, the madness of, of of how much a, a football uh, transfer is. 
It's a bit like buying a car, isn't it? And then <laughs> selling it a year later and you're losing so much money as soon as you drive it off the forecourt. But that's um that that's a massive drop, that isn't it? I mean, I don't know. I think if you was in charge of a business and something like that happened, you'd be getting sacked, wouldn't you, for, for, for a loss like that? But no, that that's just how it goes, isn't it? Sometimes with transfers and contracts and things like that, teams spend an awful lot of money on players and sometimes it doesn't work out. You've only got to look at our local sides in the top flight, Manchester United and Manchester City. You know, they, they've signed players over the last 20 years and for big money some of them and, they, and they've not worked out I'm sure you can you can name quite a few as well so uh, so yeah you know I'm talking about Tony yeah <laughs> yeah we, we remain nameless now don't you want me to start crying <laughs> um, so that's all our, our football chat I'm going to talk, talk rugby league now uh, Paul and we'll start with the success on Sunday of the uh, LDRL festival at the Salford and Wakefield game um, rugby league is all about including uh, every sort of member of, of, of society and uh, Salford do a fantastic job with the LDRL team and the physical disability team as well um, so it's great that obviously you know, they're giving the opportunity for people to play yeah, it certainly is, and they've been doing it all season now. And um, yeah, giving opportunities to people to play the game, play the sport, be part of, be part of Salford, really. And you know, to say you play for Salford, no matter what level it is, if you can say to your family and your friends, oh, "I play for Salford," me, I think that's quite a, a thing to be proud of. And you've got the ladies who are doing as proud as well, and uh, going for glory this season. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to see so many happy faces at the the ground on Sunday and the atmosphere absolutely buzzing. You know everything going on on the on the, on the pitches. You know the three G pitches near the the ground and the car park absolutely rammed. I think it's great. I think it's great for the the sport, great for the city, and, and great for the community. Yeah, it's a real community feel at, at Salford now. Like you said, with the ladies side, the reserves side, it's it's kind of feels like a real club. Uh, many years we, we've had just had a, a club that sort of put all its eggs in the one basket of the first team, but now. You've got different teams popping up, you know, wheelchair teams in, in the future. And, you know, it's, it's a fantastic thing that they're doing down there now. Well, yeah, the more people you get involved with your brand and your club, the, the better, really. And, uh, you know, we've said it before, we've, the sky's the limit, really, at Salford. You've got a massive area. You know, we don't play in the in the heart of Salford anymore, but you've got a massive area that surrounds the stadium and the surrounding districts. And if we can get those people involved with rugby league and involved with Salford, I think it's uh, only going to help the longevity of the club in the future. And you know, sports a business now that we we've said it a million times. It's not the 1970s, 80s anymore or even the 60s where there's probably not a right lot to do really you know people do sport at weekend and things like that I'm not having to go with people from the past but there's so much more going on nowadays everywhere's a lot more cosmopolitan there's a lot of you know competition out there so if we can get people involved with rugby league and, and come in and enjoying it and being part of the Salford Rugby League family I think it's, uh, it's all good you know that the club are looking to sort of improve their match day experience for the fans, and they're looking for musicians or bands to go down and and play before and after the match. Massive opportunity if you're listening to this on Salford City Radio. If you have a band and you want to get a bit of limelight or a platform for people to listen to your music and to grow your band, massive opportunity to do so. 
Yeah, certainly. Well, there's, there's plenty of famous uh, bands from Solvay as well, isn't there, who, who could go down there and make a mark, I suppose. But but yeah, I mean, there's some great music come out of this city. And I think, you know, music and rugby league and football, it's part of our DNA in this neck of the woods, isn't it? So, uh, so yeah, I mean, if you can get that opportunity, I mean, to, to go down to Solvay and, and play there, I think it's, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity for you to showcase yourself. And especially nowadays with social media, you've only text someone to, to film, you know, put you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and the like and all that sort of stuff and you know you're uh, you're on your way aren't you so uh, so yeah I think it's great. You're hoping for Paul someone films you and next thing you know you play Madison Square Garden. Yeah, yeah, that that'd be it'd be great, wouldn't it? So um, yeah, I'm sure any sort of band, you know, um, would, would want to get involved in, in things like that. I mean, it puts you on that showcase and on that stage, doesn't it? So. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think it's great, and you know we've had we've seen that bands before, haven't we? Uh, in the the tent before the matches, and it, it all adds to the atmosphere, doesn't it? And, and and the good feeling around the club, and like you said, it's a, it's a community feel now, isn't it? So uh, so yeah, the more people we can get involved, the better. Magic weekend tickets are available. Uh, the club have asked for more. The RFL have given more. Big following expected score from Salford. If you're not obviously got that ticket yet, and you're listening to this uh, station, uh, what well, you know. Let's try and inspire them. Let's say, what? Why should they go and watch us in Newcastle, Paul? Well, it's a great day out. It's a great day out. It's a great stadium, St James's Park. You'll have a really good time as well. I mean, it's a fantastic city, Newcastle. Really exciting place, buzzing place. You know, it's in the summer. The grounds in the city centre. It's a big day out. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not being derogatory to Salford here. I'm a, I'm a supporter. I love the club, but we don't f- often get big sort of cup finals and things like that to go. So we've had a couple last couple of years, but uh, with the grand final, but obviously no one could go to the Challenge Cup final. So it's this sort of day out, this weekend out. It, it's a good weekend. It really is it's an enjoyable weekend. And if you like your rugby league as well, you. You've got like matches spread over the day. You can go and watch. Say you're just going for the day. You can go and watch three matches for. I don't know. How much the tickets are. They're not expensive though. But for three matches in a great stadium like that, with the sun's hopefully out as well. You know, you, you can't beat rugby league like that. And there's some great fixtures as well. Some good derby fixtures, and I'm sure you'll really, really enjoy it. Yeah, Salford are away at Warrington this weekend. Big game, obviously. Warrington struggling at the moment. Um, trying to bring some faces in to try and turn it round. You know, we obviously, you know, need results, so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens. Well yeah, and so the Warrington they're they're rounded about us in the table as well. So uh you know, they did perk up, didn't they, and beat us earlier on in the season, but since then they've they've had another sort of lapse really and been really poor and really struggling. You know, Daryl Powell's under a bit of pressure really, but I think the players at Warrington have, have let him down really this season. But it's up to us to go there and take advantage of it really if we can. Um, I know we've got a few injuries as well Morgan Escalade's out for the, the season now with that injury he's picked up so that's another blow for us but you know we always raise our game at Warrington it's a, it's a good fixture and it's probably a derby fixture for us really it's about 10 miles away down the uh, down the A57 in it Warrington so uh, it's always a, it's always a good atmosphere there at Hallowell Jones and I'm looking forward to going to that and uh, it'll be a close game I don't think there'll be a lot in that match and if we can get a good start there we can get a result no doubt about that yeah, Swinton Lions are at home to Doncaster uh, this weekend. Obviously, you know, looking to to get sort of the season uh, up and running. Um, need to be nearer the top. Trying, working hard. Just need a few results to go their way. 
Yeah, they've been pretty consistent. You know, but pretty consistent so far. I know Keithley are the, the top dogs at the moment, aren't they? Beating everybody in sight. They're still unbeaten. Made some big signings. Junior Sow's gone there. They've got Jake Webster playing from as well. And they've got one or two others. They've got um, a winger whose first name escapes, but his second name is Agar- Agaro. He's, he's called Aga- Aga- Agaro. Agaro. I think it's called A. Yeah, it's Agaro. What a great player he is. He's scoring tries for fun in that league. And um, he's a real talisman for them. So, uh, so yeah, they've got some experience there as well. Some lads who've been there for a while. So they look like nailed on to be up there at the top. But Swindon's got to keep performing and you know, chasing the coattails because at the end of the day, it's not a first pass the post in that league. It's a, it goes down to a grand final. So if they can stay there or thereabouts on the tails, they've got every chance of going up. Yeah. Um, talking about uh, Salford and, and, and in the community and Swinton, um, Salford Reserve play Nathan Taylor been selected for England students who are touring Ireland. Uh, great opportunity for him. Yeah, certainly is. Yeah, if you can represent your country at rugby league, I think it's a, it's, it's a real uh, sort of feather in your cap, isn't it? Something to be very proud of, something his family are going to be very proud of. But, you know, to be representing England uh, students, that's great. That hope he has a great time and, and they get the results over there and uh, and come back with some, some wins. But, uh, but, yeah, good luck. Yeah, and Swinton Lions ladies are top of their division. Uh, I think it's League One, played 5 one five. Paul, so both of our sides, both of our ladies' sides, top of the table in their own division. Yeah, and chasing, hopefully chasing promotion then, eh? That'd be, that'd be something. So, uh, so, yeah, it's great to see both of the sides doing well. And, and you know, that, I think it's all credit to the hard work that goes on. You know, the coaching staff put the hours in, the players put the hours in, and, uh, and they're reaping the rewards, aren't they? They're just going to keep being consistent, keep doing what they're doing, and I think they'll get the success at the end of the year, both, both of the sides. Obviously, with a minute to go, if, if you know people are listening to this uh, radio station and you know interested in rugby league and in Salford and Swinton, what what do you say to them to sort of get down and support their team of choice? Well, rugby league in this this sort of neck of the woods, I think, is very very traditional. You know, Swinton and, and Salford have got a rich history in the sport. You know, uh, you're right for the sixties, seventies. You go back to the Salford in the thirties. You've had some great sides and. You know, it's uh, it's part of people's DNA in this neck of the woods. So, uh, so yeah, get down and support them. I know Swinton aren't in Swinton at the moment, but, you know, we still have a, a great day out there in uh, Haywood Road in Sale. That's for Salford as well. They need your support in Super League and, uh, you know, we need to get the crowds in, you know, to keep the money flowing in and you get to come and see some cracking players as well. You know, Callum Watkins representing England last week. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah, 20 seconds to go. Both be pushing for playoffs promotion. Let's hope so, Rob. Let's hope so. I think Swinton will be. As for Salford, we need to be a bit more consistent and pick up some results throughout the next few weeks. So, uh, yeah, this is all your rugby league chat. Good chat talking uh, football before. And now, Paul and James are going to be talking boxing. And now on Sports Zone, James Sweetenham joins us. We're going to be talking all things boxing, James. And there's been plenty going on, hasn't there, since we last spoke uh, in the world of uh, boxing? Yeah, the most certainly is. Arthur Baturbiev, an explosive performance over Joe Smith Jr. Tommy Fury and Jake Paul finally signing on the dotted line. And of course, Paul, Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua have got that rematch sorted. Where should we start? I think it's, it's got to be Joshua, really, hasn't it? It's going down in the Middle East. And before we go on to the fight itself, how, how do you feel about that? Because it's received some backlash from the general public. Um, I thought it was a strange one. I thought it was that was going to happen. Um, it, there was rumoured about that before in other big fights as well. We've had a, a few over there, that neck of the woods now. And 
And yeah, it's probably going to be a great place, a great arena and, and, and what have you. But I don't know. I think it's a fight where you could have sold out Wembley Stadium. You know, you could have really had a big sort of uh, outside fight in this country. I don't know, really. It just seems a bit strange. I mean, neither fight is from that country. So it just seems strange to have it have it there, really. So uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm a bit more traditional. I think at Wembley Stadium, I don't think you can beat that sort of atmosphere. You know, we had for the Tyson Fury fight not long so long ago. Tremendous, uh, tremendous atmosphere there. You know, you think back a few years ago, the, the Frotch and Groves there was absolutely outstanding, wasn't it? So, uh, so yeah, I don't think you can beat things like that. But we'll have to see what they make of it. I'm sure they'll put a good show on. Who do you think it famous? Obviously, Anthony Joshua... Very reluctant to make any comments about Saudi Arabia, claiming he doesn't know what sport washing is or anything like that during the press conference. Usually he's got that mountain of fans behind him, 100,000 at points, and they all cheer him on, they chant for AJ, etc. But that wasn't able to get him over the line last time. So do you think it'll reduce the pressure fighting in a country like Saudi Arabia where he doesn't have that? Yeah, he could do. You know, you've not got that weight of expectation on you. I mean, Anthony Joshua, you know, carries a lot, doesn't he, when he's fighting in this country? You know, he's carries a lot of the, the, the British fans and, and you do have that pressure behind you as well. I think when you go away from home to another country and a bit of a neutral country, really, for both fighters, you know, perhaps that pressure won't be there and he can be a bit more free in it. But, I mean, whatever, wherever he fights, this fight's going to be... a He's going to be more than a fight for me, I think, against Usyk. I think it's more of a mission as well, because Alexander Usyk, he's not just a... He lives and breathes the sport, doesn't he? He's a real, real tough customer, and I think it's going to take a really, really special performance to beat him. He's going to have to leave no stone unturned, really. So I think he's got to do something a bit different as well, Anthony Joshua. I think if he does the same thing as last time, he's going to get the same result. So uh, so the pressure's on him in that sort of way, but perhaps the pressure will be a bit relieved with him not having that big, uh, that big support behind him. You mentioned there he's going to have to do something a little bit different. What tactics can he apply to be a magician like Usyk? Well, I think he's got to get back to the way he boxed when he first came on the scene. And, you know, even if he does that, I'm not so sure whether Alexander Usyk would fall for that. I think you're going to have to do something special to beat him. And even Joshua at his best, I don't think he's guaranteed to win this fight because Usyk's such a special fighter. But I would like to see Anthony Joshua get back to his... Yeah, you know, a lot of his earlier fights, the fighters he were fighting against were, were like rabbits in the headlights because he really piled the pressure on. He got on the front foot, got behind that good jab and powered his way through people. And I think that's the sort of boxer he is. Um, he's tried other things and come unstuck, really, hasn't he? So uh, I think if he gets back to that, hopefully that'll get him over the line. But I'm not 100% sure whether it would do, but I think that's the best way he can box. Yeah, I'm loses this one there's not much of a way back so you might as well roll the dice and go for it yeah i think i think he's got to do really i think you lose this one and you start dropping down the rankings it's another defeat you're not getting any younger either so uh, you know it could be uh, it could be curtains for him really so i think when you when you're that sort of desperate it's a bit of a last chance saloon i think you, you've got to take chances haven't you and i think if he gets a chance in this fight you know, or, or that light comes on where there's an opening or an opportunity. I think he's got to throw everything into that punch and, th- and, and, and try and take it. I mean, there's no point in dying wondering, really, is there? So, uh, and, and, and let's just have it right. If he if he was to pull this win off, it would be a fantastic win. It'd be a great win. Um, and then, you know, that could really launch him onto a super fight then after that. You know, the, there's fights there, isn't there? We know who we're talking about as well. So, uh, so yeah, but, he, you know, for Joshua, he can't look past this one, really. I think this is going to be, as I mentioned before, a real mission. Yeah, 
interesting one, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all goes down in Saudi Arabia. But sticking with the heavyweight division now, a few stories. First things first, Andy Ruiz versus Luis Ortiz has been com- uh, has been completed for September the 4th in America. A very good fight on paper, this one. For me, I've edged towards Ruiz based on the fact that in his last performance, Luis Ortiz looked like that age was catching up with him. He fought Prince Charles Martin. He managed to get the job done. A terrific knockout. But he went down twice himself en route to getting that one. And for me, at the peak of his powers, Ortiz probably would have blew through Charles Martin, no problem. So I'm, I'm favouring Ruiz right now. But how are you breaking this one down? Yeah, I'd have to agree with what you've just said there, really. I think Ortiz looked a bit tired in that, that, that fight. Looked like... You know, like, you know, Father Time, as I say, was catching up with him. Took two knockdowns as well. That takes a bit out of you. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think I just edge towards Ruiz. Quicker hand speed, I would say. Probably the fresher out of the two of them, and uh, probably just got a bit more inside his tank. But it'd be an interesting fight. You know, styles make fights, as we always say. And these two are two totally different boxers, really, aren't they? And um, you know, there's a lot on this fight. Crossroads fight for the pair of them. So it could be a really dangerous one for for both fighters. With them both being within that Showtime, PBC, Fox Network banner, and Deontay Wilder planning his comeback, do you think this is almost an elimination of sorts to the winner effectively getting the hands on the bronze banner? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I don't think there's any... There's not many more fights out there for uh, for the bronze bomber, is there really? So I think this one would be the automatic choice. Definitely, and if the uh, the promoters are seeing it the same way as I think that that fight will definitely get made, and I think uh, you know it'd be great to see him come back. I mean, Deontay Wilder's still got an awful lot to give in boxing. I think you know he's a very fit man. He's uh, you know I think he's got a few years left in him yet, and some big fights left in him, and he's definitely dangerous. There's no doubt about that. So uh, so yeah, I think I think the winner of this one would would go on to fight him definitely. And then on the British scene, uh, Joe Jones versus Joe Parker, a fight that's seemingly been made. Uh, the BT Sport team announced it during the night of Fury versus Dylan. It looks set to go in the summer. It's legal act. Joe took a fight uh, on July 2nd come up against uh, Christian Hammett. Joseph Parker signed with Sky Sports. Ben Shalom has come out and said that he's offered... Uh, Joe Joyce, $1.2 million to rearrange that fight on Sky Sports pay-per-view. Trent Warren's hit back saying that Joe Parker's avoided the fight, etc. But who's to blame for this one not going ahead? Um, well, it does sound like a promotion issue, really. I mean, a few people have thrown spanners in there, haven't they? And, uh, you know, and sort of upset the apple cart, if you like. So it just seems a real shame, really, because it, it was a fight that, you know, would have been a really interesting one. So it's difficult, really, to, to line the blame up, but it just seems a real mess that they've made there of that. And, uh, you know, probably uh, probably ruined what was going to be a good fight. Yeah, it's definitely an upsetting one. But in slightly better boxing news, we've now got a unified champion with three belts at light heavyweight, Arthur Batavia versus Joe Smith Jr., and the beast, Joe Smith, we've praised him over and over again on this show. A club fighter rose far beyond the lengths that anyone ever thought he'd go to. Irish, blue-collar guy, never quit his day job, still worked as a labourer. Picked up some incredible wins. Fonfara, Bernard Hopkins, uh, Alida Alvarez, etc. Managed to win a world title, and we're all proud of him for that. But Baturbiev was just a bridge too far for him, and the Russian looked absolutely destructive on route to a second round victory. He did. He was. It was a good fight as well. I think both men came out and and and, and punched with intent. Didn't they? It was a very very sort of high intensity 
first round, I thought, I mean, both were throwing real hurtful shots and, and you're looking at the fight and thinking, I can't really see this going past three or four rounds just for the sort of power they were both throwing. But I think Berbatiev, I think, you know, some of the punches he landed there with, with the knockdowns particular. I mean, the first one was given as a slip, I think, but... You know, it was a 50-50, really. I think he, he caught him with a couple of good shots there. And then those uppercuts he was throwing, real, it was the speed of punches, really, that, that, that Smith Jr. couldn't really uh, couldn't really live with. And it was it was, uh, it was good to watch. It was a good knockout. And um, I think the referee was, was, was bang on with it, stopping it when he did. And, um, and yeah, you look at that, that division now, there's some cracking fights in that division some, some good fighters there I mean there's there's Anthony Yard there now I think Callum Smith's at that in that sort of uh, weight category as well now he's been a bit inactive for a while so there's some big fights in that um, sort of um, weight category now definitely Well you mentioned Anthony Yard there and it's looking like that's the fight that's going to happen next Frank Warren supposedly already done the deal with Bob Arum it's meant to be going down in October at the O2 Arena and Anthony Yard clearly a man who doesn't duck anybody of course he got he had a bit of criticism in the early part of his career for not taking chances, but then he went to Russia to fight Sergei Kovalev, so I don't think anybody can question his battle. Now he's going up against Artur Baturbiev, and unlike Kovalev, Baturbiev's probably at the peak of his powers right now. Is there a way for Yard to pull off the upset here, or is he, like Jill Smith, a world-level fighter, but is he going to find the difference between world-level and elite world-level? There's only one way to find out. You've got to put yourself in there and and, and give it your best, haven't you? I think Berbatiev, I think he's... I struggle to say his name. But um, I think you're right. I think he, looking at him last weekend, he does look like one of these that are at the elite level now. Um, just the, the hand speed of him and the power that he possesses for that weight. So it's going to be tough for Yard. But like you said, Yard's not really ducked anybody. He's a brave lad. And, um, you know, he can box as well. There's no doubt about that. If he gets his game plan right, and, you know, I think at the at the weekend, he was sort of picking his man off with Will, really, Berbatiev. I think, I think um, if he can get his defence right, yeah, I think he, he stands he stands a good chance. But you can't afford to go in there. And if you go, go, go toe-to-toe with him, you've got to get that decent defence because you can't keep getting tagged. You get tagged off him, he's got that much power, he'll finish you off. Yeah, he will. He's a very dangerous puncher, and it's going to be dangerous waters for Anthony Yard throughout the majority of that fight. But he carries power of his own, and you just never know. So best of luck to Yard, and we'll have to wait and see when that does get announced, and we'll break it down further. Jerome Miller returned to the boxing ring in Argentina, ironically, at the WBA's KO to Drug Festivals. Sorry, James, did you say that again? You broke up then, mate. Oh, then I broke up. Apologies there, there Paul. Uh, yeah, so Jerome Miller returned to action, ironically, at the WBA's KO to Drugs Festival. Hmm. Yeah, that, that that's that's a really ironic story, isn't it, mate? Um, that that one when I was expecting to to hear about anyway. But these things tend to happen, don't they, in sport sometimes? But uh, but yeah, a strange one to say the least. Yeah, very peculiar, and I'm not sure what level Jarrell Miller can get to now. Has he lost too much time to, to get up to world championship level? Well, you never say never, do you? But, you know, he's been a while out of the sport, and the sport moves on, doesn't it? You know, other people come in and, and, and take your place, don't you, when you're out for a while, and it's going to take an awful lot of dedication and commitment to, to get back to that level. But you never say never, but I think it'd be a very, very difficult road for him. 
Yeah, and uh, and more puzzling news in the heavyweight division. Uh, well, let, let's go back to the start of this. Ricky Hatton announces a fight at the Manchester Arena against Marco Antonio Barrera. No broadcaster, no nothing. Europe combat promoting the bout. Suddenly, Huey Fury and then Michael Hunter is announced for the same bill, but promoted by different people with one event taking place after the other. Then Huey Fury falls ill, it gets cancelled, and then Ricky Hatton's fight gets postponed as well. And the whole thing's been a bit of a mess, really. Yeah, it has. I mean, that that was, um, you know, a lot of people were talking about that night and, and that event. And, yeah, it's it's just uh, completely gone now, hasn't it? So it does does seem a strange one, the way things have gone there. But, you know, that sometimes happens in boxing. But I just hope everything gets uh, rescheduled and sorted out because I know there was an awful lot of interest in those two. There most certainly was. And another massive fight that's generating a lot of interest is Jack Catchell josh Taylor rematch. Top rank are trying to push Taylor down the route of a Jose Zapita fight. No disrespect to Zapita. A great fight in his own right. I think my English fans will remember him a few years ago coming to fight Terry Flanagan for that vacant WBO title. He got injured that night, but he's put in a few decent performances since, and he's shown that he is world-level in his own right. But in the aftermath of Taylor losing pretty convincingly to Jack Catchell and getting seemingly what most of the boxing world thought was a ludicrous decision... That's the fight everybody wants to see. Yeah, it is the fight everybody wants to see. And, I mean, I think from a boxing point of view, if you was Taylor, I think you'd, you'd want to to go and, and right that wrong, really. I mean, you could fool yourself and kid yourself all you want, saying you won the fight, you got the decision. But I think you want to go and put it to bed, really, wouldn't you? I don't think you'd be able to go training and, and, and be able to sleep easy with that being on your mind. I think you, you want to go and sort of wrong that right, if you like. So I, th- I think for me, Taylor and, and Cattrall, that, that fight's got to happen, surely. It really is. I think Jack Cattrall deserves the chance as well. Um, whether he'll get the same result as last time, I don't know. You would expect uh, Josh Taylor to be uh, to be more switched on this time. He, he's he's going to get another opportunity as well, isn't he? So uh, so, so I, I really hope that fight does happen. Yeah, so do I. It'd be a massive shame if it doesn't, because... I don't think Josh Taylor will ever be taken seriously by the British boxing fans again if he doesn't give Cattle that rematch, which is a weird thing to say about somebody that has achieved so much. Well, yeah, do you know what? I, I compare it slightly to not. It's, it's a bit of a daft comparison, this, but I'm just talking about, like you said there, you know, like the empathy of the British fans. If you go back to the the Carl Froch George Groves first fight, there was an awful lot of controversy on that. You know, with people moaning about the stoppage, saying, "Oh, it was it was too quick." You know, George Groves was all right, and this, that, and the other. And it, 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 it I don't think it tarnished Carl Froch's reputation, but he left a bit of a stain and a bit of a question mark there, didn't it? And then if you remember rightly, you know, the, the, the second fight happened and what did Carl Froch do? He absolutely flattened him and that's what everybody remembers. Nobody remembers that first fight now. Nobody remembers that stoppage. Everybody remembers that thunderous, you know, punch, you know, <laughs> to, to, to win that second fight. And if I was Josh Taylor or his, or his team, that's what I'd be saying to him. You go out there now and flatten him and everyone will remember that. And and if you're a boxer and, and you want that result, that that's what you're going to go and do. So off the back of what you just said there, Paul, is that what you would expect to happen? 
No, no, I wouldn't because I, because I like Jack Cattrall and the way he boxed in that first fight. I'm expecting a really tough fight for him again. But it's whether you know Josh Taylor can raise his game. Can he raise his game? Can he go to that that higher level? I mean, we've all said that he's an elite level fighter now, isn't he? You know, you look at his card and his record. He come into the first fight with Jack Cattrall as an extra special fighter. A lot of people thought Cattrall had no chance. So I think you've got to give Cattrall a lot of credit if he can box like he did the last time. You know, he can get the same result again. There's no doubt about that. That's going to be a really, really tough fight to call. Yeah, it's a very interesting one and definitely a fight the entire British public wants to see to, to crown the real undisputed champion in that division. But now moving on to the big news of the week, uh, the light heavyweight or cruiserweight match. We haven't got a weight category officially yet. But Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury, it's back on. And before we break into the ins and outs of the contract and why it's taking so long to get us over the line, are you happy that it's been rescheduled? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. It's a, it's a fight that people want to see, isn't it? So uh, it's good. I think it's good that it's been rescheduled and we, we're going to get to see it now. So, uh, so yeah, definitely. Definitely an interesting one in, in terms of the negotiations. It's apparently everything going swimmingly towards an August 6th day. And then John Fury posts a video online saying that he wants nothing to do with the fight, it's not happening, etc., etc. Then posts a follow-up video saying that he doesn't want it to go ahead because he's not allowed to the United States. And obviously with his links to Daniel Kinahan, Tyson Fury's not allowed into the United States either. What do you think of uh, the way that John Fury's managing Tommy's career at the moment? Because as good a coach as he may be, it's coming across... Somewhat de- detrimental. I mean, in his last fight against Daniel Bianski on the Dillian White Tyson Fury undercard, Tommy had two coaches in the corner, but he seemingly wasn't listening to them. He was looking into the crowd for words of encouragement from his dad. And Ching Chun's holding Tommy back, in a sense. Yeah, he seems that way. Like you just mentioned there about that last fight. I mean, you've got to listen to your corner and listen to your team, haven't you? So, so I don't know. You know, sometimes it it, it can it can hold you back that, and, and you've got to be your own man, haven't you? I suppose. I mean, there's, there's no doubt he'll listen to to John, you know, and and take his advice and what have you. But you've got to be your own man as well, haven't you? Listen to your corner and things like that. So you know the the America thing and not being allowed there. That that could be a, a real stumbling block in his career. It could be. Tommy's going to have to go out there without John, without Tyson. He's been through the mill in regards to this fight. After the injury, you have people claiming that he ducked Jake Paul, he'd avoided him. People seemingly forget nowadays that injuries do actually happen and sometimes the fighters can't fight. It's not necessarily that they're scared. But with everything he's gone through and not having his family there, is it going to affect him on the night? Um, it could go either way. It could go either way. I think that having your family there could probably take a bit of pressure off you. You know, your siege mentality sort of thing. There again, it could go the other way. So I think if it was me going over there without my family, I'd use it as, a, as, as like I said, a siege mentality. You're on your own. You go and do the business. You get the job done. So, um, you know, you're not fighting on emotion then. So uh, that that's the way I'd use it, definitely. Obviously, strange. Uh, apparently, the big stickling block for this fight between the Tommy camp and the Jake Paul camp was drug testing. Tommy said wanted VADA testing, Jake didn't. What, what do you make of that? It's not necessarily a good sign when Jake Paul's trying to seemingly move the goalposts and doesn't want to partake in drug testing. Yeah, I, I don't like that at all. I mean, things have got to be fair, haven't they? And you've got to do things by the rules. And, you know, just because you're a, 
you've got so many followers and in this sort of reputation i don't think you can dictate things things have got to be right haven't they you've got to do things the right way so that doesn't doesn't sit well with me whatsoever and looking into who's coaching Tommy, obviously it, it came across to me like he should have been trained by sugar hill stewart for this one that's what made sense to me first and foremost john can't go to the us so i don't think there's much point in him having a pivotal role in the camp if you can't do anything on the night. So I thought Sugar Hill might have been the right option. Apparently, behind the scenes, he's been doing a lot of work with Shane McGuigan. I think he's the man to guide uh, Tommy through this fight because if you look at the two trainers, Jake trained by BJ Flores, a man who doesn't have extensive coaching credentials, granted a good fight in his own right, made it to world level, albeit didn't reach the pinnacle. But Shane McGuigan, a coacher who has a long history of getting wins, yeah, I think I think Shane's become a real respected trainer, hasn't he, within the uh, within the sport? And you know, obviously, his dad had an awful lot of experience, a lot of success as well. And I think he sort of guides his son, and I think he's one of the most respected uh, trainers in the country as well at the moment. And you know, like you said, he, he's he's trained some good fighters, had plenty of wins there, and he's a no nonsense coach as well. You know, he seems to get the best out of people. So I think you could do a lot worse than 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 go down that road road. To be honest with you. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Going down at Madison Square Garden, a fight that I think a lot of the boxing world are going to be tuned in for, Paul. But if Jake can beat Tommy, where does that leave the boxing public and how do you think they'll react to this one? Because they've been criti- criticising him constantly, saying you've not got in with real boxers, and he hasn't. He's been fighting basketball players, MMA fighters. If he nails Tommy Fury, what position does that put him in? I think if he nails Tommy Fury, I think you've got to give him a bit of respect then, haven't you? Um, I think you've got to give him a bit of respect for getting in there in the first place. You know, he's obviously a brave man. If he if he, if he does Tommy Fury, then yeah, you've got to stand up there and say, yeah, hats off. And and where does he go from there? Who want to take him on? I'm pretty sure there'll be plenty of boxers who who will see it as a good payday. So, uh, so yeah, it could open all sorts of doors. And how do you think it reflects on Tyson? Because granted, heavyweight champion of the world, but you wouldn't want your little brother to get beaten up by a YouTuber. No, you wouldn't, and I'm sure he's telling his little brother that, and I'm sure that's the motivation that's driving Tommy on. You know, um, you know, he's no mug. He comes from a fighting family, and I'm sure he'll be he'll be be ready for this fight. There's no doubt about that. You mentioned there the fighting family, and it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because obviously Tommy's grown up his entire life as part of the Fury family, seeing what his brother's done, seeing Fury get to a decent level. Obviously, his father, John, a professional boxer. But how much of an effect does that have? Is he taking up boxing because he wants to be like Tyson? Or has he actually got that inner fighting spirit himself? I think we'll find out. I think we'll find out over the next uh, over his next few fights, really. Um, I'd like to think he's got that fight fighter in him. You know, if you're coming from a fighting background and your family are boxers, you're living and breathing the, the gym and things like that, I think he's bound to rub off on you. But I think the, the proof's going to be in the next couple of fights now, especially this one against Jake Paul. That's the, it's a big fight, that. There's an awful lot on it. There's going to be a lot of people there. There's a lot of media coverage as well. There's a bit of nastiness involved in it. So, now, you know, it's time the, the talking stops now and, and the fighting happens and I think you'll see now what, what he's made of. Yeah, it's certainly interesting, this one, Paul. It goes down on August 6th, Madison Square Garden. We can't wait for it. And we can't wait to talk all things sport again this time next week. This has been the Sports Zone, and thank you for joining us.